Well, this morning's our last sermon in the book of Ephesians. I think we started about six, seven months ago. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, Ron's going to bring a, uh, a word about worship next week as we're going to be out of town. And then when we get back, it'll be Easter time, and then we're going to be going through the book of the Gospel of John for the next year or so. And so I want you all to know that. So we're going to be in the Gospel of John, and it covers so many topics, topic after topic after topic. And so if you think we're not doing topical preaching, think again. When you go through the scriptures verse by verse, you are covering the topics that God has for us in scripture. And uh, that's one of the beauties of expository preaching. We're unleashing God's word, as MacArthur says, one verse at a time, is that you are dealing with what God wants you to deal with. And you can't pick and choose what you want. And so uh, we're going to be going through the Gospel of John uh, after Easter or maybe one or once or twice before Easter, I gotta look at our schedule again. So, okay, let's go ahead and open up our Bibles this morning to Ephesians chapter six. We're going to be looking at verses eighteen through twenty-four, particularly verse eighteen and nineteen and twenty. Eighteen, nineteen, and twenty. Verses twenty-one through twenty-four is God's, uh, God Paul's conclusion. Uh, he's asking for aid and and things of that nature, but he's also asking for prayer in verse nineteen and twenty. How appropriate is it that Paul would conclude a letter with an exhortation to pray? Let's remind ourselves that he began this past this, this letter with how blessed we are. Chapter 1, verse 3. For we have been given all these blessings in Christ Jesus. And now he closes with what is one of the most, what do I want to say, important blessings of them all, prayer. So how appropriate is that? Not to mention that it's at the end of the armor that is for the Christian. Though prayer is not included as part of the armor, it's closely associated with it. We know it's not really included with the armor because he doesn't associate prayer with a particular piece of armor. And so we know it's a little bit different, but it definitely is associated with the armor of God. As a matter of fact, Paul says in verse 18, with all prayer, it could mean Put on the armor with prayer, or having put on the armor, pray, or as I like to take it, both and, not an either or. Always be praying with all prayer. And so that's what he's talking about this morning. It keeps the armor from becoming mechanical, a mechanical operation, just put on and put off. It, it keeps the believer from becoming self-sufficient. From thinking, oh, I got the armor. I don't need you, God. I can do this all on my own. So think of prayer that way as well. It keeps pride at bay and keeps us dependent upon God. After all, as we go through the Gospels, we see that Jesus prayed all the time. And boy, was he equipped with armor, wasn't he? And yet, what did he do? He prayed and prayed and prayed. He would get up early in the morning and he would get up and pray. John chapter 17, one of the, one of the many reasons why I picked the Gospel of John is when we get to John chapter 17, that is Christ's high priestly prayer. You know why it's important to understand that prayer? Because the rest of history is about God answering the prayer of the Son. It's beautiful. So with that in mind, let's stand together and read these verses. Verses 18 through 24 of Ephesians chapter 6, 18 through 24. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. 
and pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known the boldness, the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak, but that you also may know about my circumstances, how I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make everything known to you. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, so that you may know about us and that he may comfort your hearts. Peace be to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all of those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with incorruptible love. Let's pray. Father in heaven, this is a love letter to your children, to those who are born again, for those who are in Christ. And it's incredible, dear God, that this letter that the Spirit moved Paul to write, which is an incorruptible letter, which is totally dependable, authoritative and powerful, has just as much authority and power today as it did 2,000 years ago when Paul wrote this. That's why we, your word calls it alive. It's just alive today, just as active today as it was when Paul penned this. And for that, dear God, praise you. Thank you so much, Lord. That the Spirit of God takes the Word of God, a, a passage like this, a letter like this, and, 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 he, and he makes us alive unto you, and then he molds us and shapes us into the image of the Savior. God, may this morning be, be one little hour of that actually happening in our lives. As we hear, as, as we listen, as we, we saturate, as we are be sponges of the Word of God, may we just not learn the truths about Christ, but actually be conformed into His image and fall in love with Him for who He is. We ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen and amen. You may be seated. We're still going to dive in this morning, because afterwards we have lunch, and uh, if you've not brought anything, there's going to be plenty. We brought enough for four or five extra people, so please be welcome to stay. And we're also going to have, during that time or towards the end of it, a, a presentation from Mike, particularly for the leadership, but anybody, everybody's welcome for security here. And uh, Mike is a police officer with Charlotte, and uh, he's going to give us like a 30-minute presentation and the, and the elders and deacons have asked for that. And uh, so I want you to know that's coming up. And you're welcome to stay for that as well uh, during lunchtime. Okay? There's three main points this morning. I'm going to say to you up front. Number one, prayer relies upon and points to the beauty of the person of Jesus Christ. Number one, prayer relies upon and points to the beauty of the person of Jesus Christ. Point number two. Prayer is God's way of making himself available to his children. Prayer is God's way of making himself available to his children. Third, prayer is the glue of the armor of God. Prayer is the glue of the armor of God. Let's look at the first one. It points to the beauty of the person of Jesus Christ. We cannot talk about prayer, mention prayer. I don't even think we should even pray without thinking closely at where it comes from and who prayer rests in. If it wasn't for the 
beauty of Christ, there would be no prayer. After all, it's in him and through him that prayer exists. Without Christ, there would be no what? Prayer. So we must talk about Christ as the foundation of our prayer. You know, we say in Jesus' name when we pray all the time. Was that just a cliche? Do we just, is that just something we say maybe at the beginning or the end? And it just, as, as, it's like kind of a mystical thing. We want to say, oh, and by the way, we pray in Jesus' name. And don't, and don't really think deeply and richly about who Jesus in is in relationship to prayer and why we pray. Now, when I say the person of Christ, I'm referring to his character. I'm referring to his holiness. I'm not referring to what he does. What he does and what he gives flows from his character, flows from his holiness. Listen, listen. All that he does, from the incarnation to the cross to coming to again, and all that he gives, uh, spiritual gifts, prayer, all flow from his person, the beauty of his character. I bring this up because I and you, we are so prone to fall in love with what Jesus does for us and what he gives more than himself. Like children at Christmas. They're the presents. I remember being little. My mom would vouch for this. I was consumed with the gifts and really didn't care about mom and dad and what they gave me. It was all about what's under that tree. You know what? We as Christians can get that way. I ran across this quote, and uh, William Bridge, Puritan, he said it this way. God is a tender father, and he would have all the love of his children. He would not have his children to love even their nurse more than himself. Our joy, our peace, our comfort is but the nurse of his graces. Now when God sees that his children are more in love with the nurse than with himself, in other words, more in love with the gifts and the blessings in himself, he then removes the nurse for a season and causes their peace and their joy and their comfort to be suspended and disrupted. End of quote. Why? Because God wants our affection set on him and not what he gives us. No wonder he's saying this and ending like this with prayer in Ephesians, a book that began in chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ. We are not immune as children of God to falling in love with the spiritual blessings more than the one who gives them Christ himself. I love Jonathan Edwards. In his, quote, personal notes or personal narrative in regards to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 17 that says, Now to the king, immortal, invisible, one wise only God. In re response to that one verse, he writes this. There came into my soul a sense of glory of the divine being, different than ever before. He's writing this down in his personal narrative, like a, like a personal journal. I went to pray to God that I might enjoy him. From that time on, I began to have a renewed appreciation of Christ. This is probably when he was around 19 years old, by the way. From that time on, I began to have a renewed appreciation of Christ, his work of redemption and the glorious way of salvation. And my mind was greatly engaged to spend my time in reading and meditating on Christ. 
in the beauty of his person and the lovely way of his salvation, end of quote. Notice what Edwards does there. He fuses together, he connects together the beauty of the person of Christ and the work of salvation. All I'm doing with point number one is fusing together the beautiful person of Christ and the blessing of prayer. The blessing of prayer. So it is with prayer. We cannot, we must not think about prayer apart from the beauty of Christ. It's because of his beauty that we have it. As a matter of fact, there's a passage of Scripture that fuses this together for us. If you'd like to turn your Bibles to Hebrews this morning as well. Hebrews chapter 2 and Hebrews chapter 4. Turn there for it. We'll give you a moment to do that. Chapter 2, verse 17. In chapter 4, 15, and 16. I want to solidify this point. I want to illustrate it for you using this passage of Scripture. Chapter 2, verse 17 says this, Therefore he made, excuse me, Therefore he had to be made like his brethren in all things. Stop right there. The context, he's talking about Jesus Christ, right? Now he says, made him. What's he thinking about? The incarnation. Here's a beautiful characteristic of our Lord. His humility. Do you ever think and dwell and meditate upon that characteristic of Christ? His humility, how humble he was, and actually is. You know, we talk about the attributes of God. We talk about his omniscience. He knows everything. His omnipresence, everything is before him. We talk about his omnipotence. He's all-powerful. We talk about he's immutable. He he never changes. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His character never changes. His promises never change. We talk about these, these incredible, holy attributes of God. But how often do we talk about the attribute of the incarnated one, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, and the humility of Jesus Christ? One of the very attributes we are to emulate, by the way. Be subject to one another. Wow. Do you realize without the humility of Christ, there would be no prayer? There'd be no incarnation. The son wouldn't have gotten off the throne and come down to earth. Therefore, he had no, he had to be made like his brethren in all things. Unless you think, I'm out of whack here this morning, the context is prayer. Look at what he says, so that he might become a merciful and faithful what? High priest. So he would listen. He humbled himself because he wanted to listen and hear us. And later on, we're going to hear, sympathize with our weaknesses. And thanks pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. It starts with salvation, but for those who are saved, it includes prayer. Verse 18, for since he himself was tempted and that which he has suffered. He is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted because he humbled himself. He got off his throne. He experienced ultimate humility. The King of kings and Lord of lords being crucified. The creator of this universe, the creator of this planet, the creator of the skies and the trees and the mountains and the oceans. The one who created man, man turned around and crucified him. And one of the reasons why, beloved, is because when we come to Christ, he wants us to have access to him, and he wants us to talk to him. 
it's all embedded in this beautiful character called the humbleness, the humility of Christ. It is a beautiful attribute of our Savior. We also have a couple others here. Merciful and faithful is here in verse 17. That means to have pity. To have pity. Because he what? Understands. I understand, he says, what you're going through. I understand your pain. And you know what? He understands at times whatever, more than you do, by the way. Have you ever felt rejection? Multiply that times infinity, and you know the Savior understands where you're at. Chapter 4, verse 15 and 16. Here's the reason why we have such a wonderful high priest. It's because he one who does sympathize with our weaknesses. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but he's one who does sympathize with our weaknesses. Why? Because of the beautiful characteristic called humility. He humbled himself. One who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Deity. You see, we, we, we fully man, fully God. Verse 16, the application is what? Prayer. This is the basis of us crying out to God in prayer. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the what? Throne of grace. Prayer. It's all of grace. Prayer is a gift. And it's all embedded and found upon the character, the beauty of the person of Jesus Christ, from which all the work of Christ flows, from which all the blessings of God flows, including prayer, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's beautiful. These attributes of God are a part of his beauty. They help describe him. They help describe what makes him so glorious. When you think about the glory of Christ, you often think about humility, sympathy. So right now he stands before God in heaven. Right now, okay, we know where he stands. Before God in heaven, just as he stood on earth, not as a private person, but as now a public one, not alone, but as a representative of his people, the church. And he's saying, here I am, the children you have given to me, Father. Here I am, Father, and the children you have given me. I am here for them. Understand, Father, their weaknesses. Understand when they fail. Understand when they can't go on anymore. Understand when they want to quit. Understand when they're waving in their faith. I understand, Father. I was down there. I humbled myself. I took on that form that they are. And I experienced to the nth degree the weaknesses of their flesh and of their humanity. And here's where we don't understand, and yet he did not sin. But that does not mean he does not sympathize. Harry Blameyer, another old-timer, writes this, a God who knows exactly what it is to eat a meal, sleep and walk, to have a toothache, a stomachache, to rejoice at a wedding and mourn at a funeral, to be indebted to an earthly mother and her husband, to stand trial in human court, to be flogged, cruelly treated, and executed, does not need to apologize for his immunity, for being perfect. 
for not sinning. For he who is human in heaven remembers what it is like to be human on earth. And thus it is not with indifference that he intercedes, but with empathy. So as you pray, he intercedes. And when he intercedes, he is in a familiar territory with you. Oh, and finally, I love this part. Though he is without sin, it's not as if he cannot feel the weight and the shame of our sin. For he is the one who bore our sin as if it were his very own. Beloved, is that not precious? Yes, when we go to the throne of grace and we have this baggage of sin with us and we go to confess, we're embarrassed, we're ashamed, it hurts. We kind of hesitate because we know that's not how our Father wants us to be. But know what he says, you got to come. you got to confess. But all that confession, all that prayer, all that penitence, all that repentance in prayer, all, all, all that is based on who? The beautiful character of Christ himself. Number two, it's God's way of making himself available to us. It's God's way of making himself available to us. Not only is prayer embedded and points to the beauty of the person of Christ, but number two, it is God's way, prayer is God's way of making himself available to us. Go to our main passage in Ephesians chapter 6 and look at verse 18. With all prayer and petition pray at all times in the Spirit. In other words, it's what Paul says in another portion of Scripture, pray without ceasing. Always have the attitude of prayer as you go throughout your day with the people you meet and the things you've got to do. Always go forth with an attitude of prayer. Pray at all times. And remember the context now. You're a soldier. You're a soldier. Paul has not left the analogy. He's, he's, he's including prayer with the analogy. And he's saying, you have the armor, but you also I also want you to talk with me as a soldier with the armor on as you go throughout your day. I, I don't want this wall between you, my soldier, my private, and me being the general. We've got to keep the lines of communication open. And this blessing is called prayer. And it gives the Christian six things. Number one, this blessing called prayer gives the Christian a companion when they are all alone. His name is Jesus. When there is no one else around, when there is no one who understands you where you're at, not your wife, not your husband, nobody, you have a companion who empathizes and sympathizes with your weakness, who absolutely understands you better than you understand yourself. Now, why is that important? Because he says, come on, bring it on. I'm going to hear, I'm going to listen, I'm with you, I'm your companion. Even if everyone else has left you, I will not. He's available 24-7. I love this. Psalms talk about this beautifully. Let me just I'll point out a couple of them. Psalm, excuse me, 55, verse 17. 55, 17 reads this. 
evening and morning and at noon, David says, I will, I will complain and murmur. <laughs> what? See, so you have David complaining and murmuring in prayer. That's his humanity spilling out. That's his pain spilling out. That's his frustration spilling out. A man who was chased by Saul for a long period of time, a man who wanted to kill him. You better believe David was scared at times, faced anxiety. You know, let's not elevate these saints above where they're, the status that they belong. They're human beings, whether it be the saints of old or the saints of new. They're human just like you and I. They are ordinary men and women. Paul was not an apostle because he was a special person. He's a sinner just like you and I. David. God's got to choose somebody. And he really doesn't have much to pick from. So he just picks a sinner. He chooses a sinner. Right? I love that verse. I love what David said there. And he will hear my voice. Even in the morning and noon, I will complain and murmur, and he will hear my voice. Wow. Do you know that when you complain, God hears you? Be careful what you complain about, though. I just got, I'll just put that down, okay? Here, here's another one. Here's another one. Psalm 119. Oh, just passed it. 164. Give you a moment to either write it down or look it up. 116, 164. Seven times a day I praise you because of your righteous ordinances. Not just because of your ordinances, but he puts an adjective before that. Righteous, or because the adjective is a reflection of the character of God. So his ordinances are embedded in his character. The one he pulls out here is righteous. He prays seven times a day. Morning, noon, and night. This time, seven times a day. And then we get to the New Testament, and Paul says, pray without ceasing. Always have that attitude. But let's not forget that, number one, he is our companion. Number two, he's our counselor. He's our counselor in times of doubt, in times where we need, where we're confused. We're doubtful. We're confused. We don't understand what is going on or why things are happening to me. God, I thought it was your will for me to do this. Six months later, ten months later, three years later, I don't know anymore. I'm now confused. You ever been there? He says, I'm your counselor. I'll help you through this. By the way, what do you do in that situation? Pray. And walk the faithful walk. And God will iron it out. See, it's not about, here's how we or I tend to pray. God, fix it. And men particularly, fix it. The women are just emotionally in it, okay? In general, I'm talking in general terms, not every lady's like this, okay? And men in general are like, problem, fix it. And God's in between going, I want you to cry out to me, and I want you to ask me to fix it. Meanwhile, as I got you in a holding pattern, generally, God usually doesn't answer my prayers like that, you know? It's like down, down the road. He's more interested in developing my character than changing my circumstances. So God leaves that in my life, whatever it is, for a season, usually longer than what I want and what you want. Why? Because he's developing our character to the image of his son. So he's our companion. He's our counselor. Psalm seventy-three twenty-four says, You have taken hold of my right hand. With your counsel, you will guide me. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. You're familiar with this one. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. 
Lean not to your own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him. And he will make your path straight. He will do it. I didn't want to make it straight for myself. No, pray and trust in him to iron it out to make your path straight. Number three, this blessing called prayer gives the Christian not just a companion, a counselor, but a comforter. When full of sorrow. Oh, write down Psalm 77 and write it down in your Bible for the next time you go through a hard time. When your heart is full of sorrow, when it's sick and grieving. Psalm 77 is a, is a blessed uh, uh, meadow upon which your soul should, should find itself when it is full of sorrow. Listen to this. My voice rises to God and I will cry aloud. When he said, my voice, right, prayer. And he says, crying, prayer, crying. So it's a sorrowful prayer. He's hurting, right? My voice rises to God and he will hear me in the day of my trouble. He's crying. He's in sorrow because he, it's a season of trouble. I sought the Lord. In the night, my hand was stretched out without weariness. Even in the evenings, I'm so, oh God, this is the thing. God help me. I'm tired of this. Probably on his bed or on his mat. And his hands are out and he's on his face. And he's just crying out to God. He's hurting so bad. And look at verse 3. The pain even worsens. When I remember God, then I am disturbed. When I sigh, oh, God, I don't know what to do. Then my spirit grows faint. You have held my eyelids. It's so bad I can't even sleep. I am so troubled. My eyelids are open. I am so troubled that I cannot even speak. Verse 5, I've considered the days of old, the years of long ago. I'll remember my song in the night. I will meditate with my heart, and my spirit ponders the past. And then it asks a question. It's like, I remember the good times. I can remember when, God, it was so sweet with you, when life was wonderful and things were great and life was sweet. And then I cry out and look at my present situation, and I come to a conclusion in verse 7. I ask the question, will the Lord reject forever? Something's gonna miss. My past was beautiful and sweet, but today my life is miserable. God, have you forsaken me? It's a heart, it's a tremendous grief right now. Tremendous hurt and pain. And will he never be favorable again? Has his loving kindness ceased forever? Has his promise come to an end forever? Notice what happens when we are in deep pain. Doubt tries to creep in. You praise God for psalms like this. Look at verse 9. Has God forgotten to be gracious? It's almost as if he's saying, God, have you forgotten me? I'm here, but I don't feel your presence anywhere because what all is going on around me. Ask yourself, have I ever been there? Asaph has. David has. All saints have at one time or another or many times in their lives. Look at verse 10. Then I said, it is my grief that the right hand of the Most High has changed. God, it's not you that have changed. My circumstances have, but you're the same. It's my pain speaking. It's my grief crying out. Now, here's what's so sweet, beloved. That's okay. Don't you? Th you're a parent, or the parents. If you're not, you get, your parents will understand. If you're not, you will when you become a parent. When your children are hurting, where do you want them to go? Who do you want them to go to? You. 
Do you want them to bear your soul to go bear it to somebody else? No. You want them to come bear it with... That's why you built this profound, beautiful relationship with your children because in their deepest, darkest of moments, you want them to run to you, to bear their soul to you so that you can comfort them. You can encourage them, love on them, have compassion on them, to let them know you are there. This is our Heavenly Father. This is the blessing of prayer. It's our companion, our counselor, our comforter. Number four, supplier. He knows our needs. Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. It's just, it's just so down to earth here. It's so practical. Listen to these words. Verses 7 through 11. Ask and it will be given to you. This is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who when his son asks for a loaf will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? This is an absurd comparison. Of course not, the answer is. Of course not. Verse 11, okay. If you then being evil, (laughs) this is not pleasant, is it? If then you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? Wow. He's also a shelter. He is my protector. His name is Strong Tower. My shelter and then number six, got to go through this a little bit fast. One more, he's my strength. He's our strength. This blessing called prayer gives the Christian a companion, a counselor, a comfort, a supplier, a shelter, a strength. Though you are weak, though you are on earth and your energy is just absolutely zapped, and though God is in heaven, he will hear your cries from the deepest pit. You can never be too far from God. You can never be out of distance from him to where he cannot hear and he will not see. Psalm 130 verse 1 says, And when you hurt and there are no words left, and your heart hurts to where there are no words to describe, he hears you. He not only hears, he sympathizes. He identifies. He has gone through the same pain. It's at times like this, That not only is Christ in heaven interceding on your behalf, but you also have the Holy Spirit in you interceding on your your behalf at the same time. Do we understand how awesome this salvation is? All three persons of the Trinity are involved in your redemption, involved in regeneration, involved in your eternal life. That the Godhead got together before time and said, we're going to do this thing. We are going to save people, and we're all going to be involved in this. God the Father planned it. The Son carried it out in redemption, and the Holy Spirit moves into people and dwells people to wake them up unto it. Purely all of grace. Finally, prayer is the means by which we buckle the armor of God. Matthew Henry writes this in his diary. It's a short little sentence. I love prayer. It is that which buckles on all the Christian armor. End of quote. So let's close with a short little examination this morning of verses 18 and 19. Look at verse 18. What I want you to notice is this fourfold use of the word all. Fourfold 
use of the word all, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit, with this in view, be on the alert, with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Four times the word all is used. The first one, all prayer petition refers to the kinds of prayer. The Greek word prayer there is means in general. Pray, we pray generally, don't we? When we don't know the specifics, we pray for that person in general. But then a petition is more specific. It is particular. So when we pray, our prayers involve general prayers and specific prayer requests. So with all kinds of prayers, what he's referring to there. So there's all kinds of prayer when we pray. And that's what he's referring to. With all kinds of prayers and petition, pray at all times. In the spirit, what is time to refer to? Frequency. Frequency. Always be ready to pray. If you see something happening over there, and you think you need to talk to the Lord about it, or you just had a conversation with a person as you're walking away, or you go to break, the next second you got, or with the attitude of prayer as you're walking down the hallway, talk to God about what that conversation was just about. Maybe you have negative, bad, sinful thoughts infiltrating your mind for no reason at all. Stop and pray right then and there. Maybe it's wishing ill will on somebody who hurt you. Stop and pray. Maybe God's blessing you with something. Stop and give thanks. And everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. See, see, prayer is saying, you know, here's the belt, here's the armor, here's the buckle that puts it together. With all this armor as soldiers, go forth in prayer, always being prayer, always be communicating to the general. Always be communicating to the one who has already defeated Satan. That would be the context, the devil. With all perseverance, as he goes on, all perseverance and petition, be on the alert. This refers to always be about asking for wisdom as you go out throughout the day. How to apply scripture in that situation or this situation. Go about walking wisely. Applying the word. God, help me to apply it in this situation, that situation, with this person or that person. And then notice, lastly, all the saints. Pray for one another. Pray for one another. That's why it's important to build relationships. If nothing else, it's prayer. So I know how to pray for you. I know your heart. I know what you think. I know where you're at in life. I know your desires, so I can pray for you, not just generally, but specifically. That's the beauty of relationships, right? Then what does Paul do? In verse 19, he asks for prayer. So he basically begins to conclude this book. Paul asks for prayer. Oh, the, listen, listen, the humility of Paul to recognize he needed it. And then the wisdom to ask for it. The humility recognized, I need prayer. And I need to ask my friends and churches, my beloved, you know, part of the body, I need your prayers. Oh, 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 the humility to, to, to recognize that and then the wisdom to ask for it or switch it, however you want to say it. Is it not pride that gets in the way of us asking for prayer? Or even saying, I'm hurting in this area. Would you pray for me? I'm struggling in this area. Oh, we don't want people to know that. I want you to know that I'm a pastor, I'm an elder, and everything's under control. I got life down. I'm a couple steps ahead of you. Really? 
Did you, did you feel the sarcasm just oozing out of those last couple of comments? No, I struggle just like you. I have a thought life just like you. You know, the older I get, the more I realize the warfare doesn't get any easier. By God's grace, I get a little bit stronger. Right? Isn't that beautiful? Paul asked for this. How appropriate he asked for it after verse 18. And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me. And I, I look at the prayer request. He asked for boldness to preach the gospel because he's an ambassador in change, number, chains. Number one, notice the request was not to get me out of jail. He's not asking that. He's not asking, remove me from my circumstances. He said, God, just make me bold. I want to be faithful with the gospel. And I would think, gee, Paul, of all the things to ask for, I thought you were already there. You struggle with being boldness to share the gospel? Well, apparently, yes, that's right. Even Paul, wow. And that was his job, we say. That was his calling as an apostle. And so I understand a little more the humility that was involved in for him asking that. Because there's critics out there who say, wait a minute, you're struggling with evangelism? Oh, Paul, how could you do that? You don't love Jesus? You know, that kind of baloney that we hear out there. Oh, you have little faith. Oh, that, you hear that a lot today, don't you? Right? In certain charismatic movements, or all of them, it's that health, wealth, you don't have enough faith. You just have enough faith that God will fill in the blank. False. It's not even false. So Paul ends by asking for prayer. Beloved, we've got armor, and we need to pray. Because we're in a battle. But we're also blessed because Jesus has won the war. And he's given us equipment. He's given us prayer to fight the skirmishes. Knowing that he's already defeated Satan. He's defeated the devil. His days are numbered. We know the devil's wanting to go kicking and screaming. And he hates the church because he hates Christ. That means he hates us because we want to follow Christ. We want to magnify him. So expect opposition Meanwhile, put on the armor of God to deal with it and always be about praying, always being about praying. Because whether you like it or not, you've been enlisted as a soldier. We're in a battle. There's no, what do you want to call it, days off. Okay. Thus saith the Lord. It's right here. Let's pray.